And if I could do anything over, I would not be as concerned about how many books I had to make my library be lendable to people. Mm. And instead, I have been covering and protecting my books a lot sooner. Hello, you are listening to the Plumfield Moms, and this is Plumfield in Person. Hello, friends. Last summer, we had the great joy of chatting with our friend Kathy Seeger, who is a library lady. In that conversation, we had a great opportunity to better understand what a living books library was and what a living books librarian does. After that wonderful conversation, we reached out to a few other library ladies and had a great conversation with them in September. That conversation made it very clear to us that we were going to need to have library ladies on on a regular basis. To get started, we recorded that conversation and broke it into two episodes. This is the first half of that conversation. Tune in next week for the second part. Hi, I'm Diane Pendergraft. I'm here with Sarah Masaryk, and we have the library ladies today, and we're so excited about that. We have with us Mary Schubert, Sherry Early, and Sandy Hall. Ladies, thank you so much for being here today. As you know, we have interviewed Kathy Seeger. We are, we've known Kathy Seeger for years. Uh, we knew her from Potato Peel Pie and Totally Leje and all those places. And we had a lovely, lovely conversation with her last summer. And she brought us into this amazing world of living book libraries and the librarians who make those happen. And we said, we need to do more of this. We need to talk to more of these librarians. Each library has its own story. Each lady has her own way of doing it. And yet they're bound together in this common love for the good, true, and beautiful books. And so we were chatting with our good friend, Tanya Arnold of BiblioGuides. And she said, oh, I know library ladies. <laughs> I'll connect you with the library ladies, Sarah. And so she told us first and foremost to contact the three of you. So we have really enjoyed getting to know you on email and Signal and Facebook over the last six weeks, eight weeks, something like that. Something like that. Something. So, so thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome. We're glad to be here. <laughs> Thanks for having us. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yay. I think that one of the things I'm most curious about is how you started because were you independent and then you discovered each other or did you hear about somebody else's? What made you think about it in the first place? I was at our homeschool convention. We did not start homeschooling our kids until some of our younger ones were starting school. And I had met Jan Bloom from Books Bloom mm -hmm. at our homeschool convention and gotten to know her for a couple of years. And in May of 2012, she and I were just chatting and talking. She had a lot of books in her library that were the same as my dad had. And at the time they were living in my hometown. So we had really connected that way. And she started talking to me about a living books library and this convention and these people that I didn't even know about. I'd never heard about. I was just getting used to living books from starting kind of homeschooling with Charlotte Mason. 
And that's how she connected me with our Yahoo library group at the time, the librarians group and the homeschool convention that was going to be taking place with the Cottrells. And unfortunately I couldn't attend it, but I kind of feel like I at least helped inspire them to do the recordings of the convention oh, so yay. conference so that we could start it. And then that's how I got to know Sandy and Sherry. Mm-hmm. Sandy was recently widowed and her story was kind of coming through in the feeds um, and she was getting ready to move her library to one of her children, I believe up North. And so then I've kind of followed her through the time. And then I got to know Sherry just because she was one of the other mentor librarians on there. And I came across her picture book preschool curriculum. Yes. And that inspired me to start adding more picture books to my library. Uh-huh. It also became a way for me to have a good excuse to keep <laughs> books that I wanted and to keep <laughs> educational materials that I wanted. And it also became a creative outlet for me. So happy to hear you say that though, because that's what I want is an excuse. <laughs> Homeschooling for me was an excuse to continue my education. And uh, now I have grandkids and they don't live in my house, but I, I do, you know, I need that excuse to keep all my books. Right. <laughs> I I love doing Plumfield because I can justify buying books. And then I always say to my husband, oh, they're doing double duty. We're using them for school and I'm reviewing them. It's, it's good. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's, it's not totally altruistic. So I feel better. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Sherry? Well, my library is definitely an excuse for collecting more books and become that anyway. I actually have very impressive sounding degree in library and information science. But well, I want to say right up front that that's not necessary for running a library, but I have librarian genes in my in my blood or something. And I thought about having a library of some kind all the time I was raising my children and homeschooling. I have eight children. Mm. So when the youngest one started growing out of the picture book phase, I took that as an opportunity to get rid of some of the junk that we had acquired. Right. But I didn't want to get rid of the good books. Right. (laughs) But nobody was using them because I didn't have any grandchildren at the time. Oh, and then I had children moving out of the house too. So I had some room Ah. to have a a library. You know, with eight children, there really wasn't a whole lot of room to do this in my house and I didn't have any other space for it. Yeah, all that kind of came together at the same time about eight years ago, maybe. And so I thought, oh, you know, I could loan these books to other people. Maybe there are a few other books that they might want. (laughs) You know, anyway, so. Did you know other people were doing it? Um, I saw at some point an interview with Liz Cottrell and Emily, her daughter. There's a video online of a tour of Liz Cottrell's library and stuff. Um, I think I already thought about it, but that did help gel things. Kathy Seeger mentioned Liz, that same video. So, and I think we forgot to link it in our show notes to her episode. So That's we're going to make sure we do that for this. Yeah. How about you, Sandy? We started homeschooling in the late eighties and the early nineties in Michigan. And 
Michelle that wrote Truth Quest History had started a lending library in Traverse City. Mm. And so when I started using TruthQuest, then this interest in more and more of these older books came about, and those are what I started searching for. Mm-hmm. And then I, I started watching Valerie's Living Books website to know what to collect and watching Michelle's guides that she had for TruthQuest. And then the Yahoo group, the Homeschool Library Builders, which is still going, by the way, if anyone else is interested in joining that, it's still active, not quite as much as it used to be, because now all the Facebook has kind of taken over that realm. Mm -hmm. But the ladies are still there. There's still a list there of books across Mm -hmm. or libraries across the country. So that really was the start of an interest in this. But in reality, like we were members of a large church in Michigan. My husband was pastor on staff there and we had a lot of families in the church and we had about 40 homeschool families. And as they were coming in and out of our home or we'd see them at church, a lot of the moms would say, I'm getting ready to do the civil war. Do you have a good read aloud? Mm -hmm. Or they would come over for piano or flute lessons or guitar lessons, which our family was giving and see all the books and like, oh, could I borrow those? So it really, until 2006 when we moved away from Michigan that's how the library was it was just for our use but I shared it freely with people and you know just enjoyed passing around the great books that way and then we moved to Long Island I set it up more officially there there was a large homeschool community on the island so that's when I started really kind of making it more official as a lending library, rather than just here, you know, share this box of books with this friend and so forth. (laughs) You know, it's interesting when we were speaking with Kathy, she said that one of the things she learned early on is you don't loan books to friends. You set up the library and then you have this agreement because sometimes when you loan like a unicorn uh, to a friend and it doesn't come home, you could cause real serious tension in your friendship because if that's a rare book. If, if you loaned Captain Kid and it didn't come back, you'd be sick about it. I thought that was really prudent. And it really has given me pause to rethink how I do my own library because a lot of my books don't come home. Because I think when you're collecting these kinds of books, they're pretty special and people, you know, have reasons for not wanting to return them. <laughs> at the beginning, the internet wasn't functioning, Mm -hmm. right? So I had a lot of great books, but I had no clue that they were worth a lot of money. (laughs) True. But the other side of it was with being in ministry, I just felt like that saying of what you have in your hands, that's what you use to bless others. Yeah. amen. And that's how I viewed it. Mm -hmm. And I did write down in a notebook who had which books, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think people understood at that point, I'm responsible for this. Mm -hmm. I I think it is a good idea. And I do have a borrower's agreement now, but at that time it was just, I'm sharing what I have with you. I definitely think there is wisdom both ways because I completely agree with you. There are friends for whom I think it doesn't matter if it doesn't come home. I guess what I've learned is I decide if the relationship is more important than the book, then I'm content for the book to not come home if that's what happens. This is something that I've always thought about as I got more and more books. 
and um, you know, Sherry said she's got this library background, but how did you each learn how to set this up as a library? Mm-hmm. Mine are spread all over my house right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was an elementary school librarian for uh, a few years before I had children. And so I did sort of know how to set up a library, but how to set up a library like this for private lending and how to do some kind of borrower's agreement and Mm. all that kind of stuff um, really was trial and error. Mm. You know, I just, I just said, Hmm. Yeah. But there needs to be something, some, some way to track, you know, who's got the books and, and get them back, like you said, and, Mm -hmm. and um, I need to, yeah, I, I just thought three things, things as I went and really grew the library as I went along because at first I didn't have any particular way of shelving the books. All those things evolved. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's probably really important for me to, to just think, okay, I don't have to have it all figured out perfectly before I could start doing something. Mm-hmm. Mary, how about you? I learned a lot as far as like how to do a, a private lending library from our home builders library group. I also had learned, I, my dad and my, my family had a large library of their own. Um, my mom was doing a lending library in a nursing home where my aunt had lived for a while oh. and resided. So I kind of had an inspiration, you know, from her to do this, but I do think that it's important to remember to start small. Sure. And if I could do anything over, I would not be as concerned about how many books I had to make my library be lendable to people. Mm. And instead I have been covering and protecting my books a lot sooner. (laughs) (laughs) When I was ready to start lending and had a space for it and had my organization down that my books are fully covered and protected. Um, I know Kathy had mentioned some of hers weren't listening to hers, but for me, especially old dust jackets and things on landmarks and so forth that are hard to come by, I want a way to protect them. And I also don't want my labels being stuck on a dust jacket or inside a book. I want a way to put them on a book without destroying the book itself. But the other thing for me was finding a way for me to be able to keep track of my individual books and where they were coming in and how they were going out. And the only way for me to do that originally had been in using just an Excel spreadsheet. Mm. And I knew I wanted a database. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had looked into library thing, but at the time they did not have Tiny Cat and they had a cap on your number of books. And I knew I was expecting to have more than that. <laughs> I didn't even try to put stuff on library thing or any place else online. So I was doing my own. And so then I taught myself um, when I got a new computer, I taught myself Microsoft access. I love access. I created database for my library. Yeah. So now I have a location where everything is all, all together. Marvelous. Um, I think the three of us that are speaking here are, plus a few other ladies, are really pioneers. And pioneers don't have a beaten path to tread. 
No trail guide. No trail guides. Mm -hmm. Those trail guides come along the way as more and more people come along that path. And so just like Mary said, mine has kind of morphed over time. Yeah. Um, At first, I didn't have anything in a database. We were just lending to people, writing it down in a little spiral notebook (laughs) and checking it off when it came back. When we moved to Long Island, I did start using an Excel sheet there that I had just developed myself and knew where books were. And then I also just typed up lists of where, who had what. That's all I did. (laughs) Until 2020, right at the shutdown, I had just finished getting all of the books that I had at the time onto the Living Learning Library database that Michelle Miller Howard has started. Oh, And you buy, you rent space on there each year. I think it's $89. It might be a little more now because I got in on the early time, but that, that has 30,000 different books on it and it has a borrower access. So right when the shutdown happened, I had just finished getting all of the barcodes for my books into that database and had it up and running so that my patrons could do porch pickups. All of the libraries were closed. Right. And so they could request books and just come pick up on the porch. And that worked for several months till uh, the, so I have really enjoyed that database just because probably 80% of my books are already in it. I have to hand enter some, which is Mm -hmm. fine because then it's available for others when they join in. Um, and I really like that, but at the beginning, there was no such thing. <laughs> we wow. were just trying to keep track of what we had any way we could. So Sandy, you use that database, Mary, you just use your own. Do you use the other one as well or not? Eventually I would like to have a lot of my books on library things, tiny cat, so that my patrons can look online and find what I have. Gotcha. I also actually record a lot of my books on BiblioGuides just for me to be able to keep track of them. Sure, sure. And I'm hoping for things to broaden with that. Right. Um, <laughs> but I do believe that it's important to have your own way of keeping track of the books that you have. That's your private. Yes. Um, that's not an online, that's not a paid subscription mm-hmm. to somebody else. So that if something ever comes about that something on their end would crash or you'd have to separate or whatever, that you've got your own way of keeping track of what books you have. I want it online because our library system locally, that's the way I always borrow books is I just go Mm -hmm. online. I don't go into the library very Uh, often. No. (laughs) Yeah. I always look mine up online as well. Sherry, what about you? I use Tiny Cat with library thing. It's been really easy to use. The interface is really easy. They're set up for people with just home libraries to put those on library thing and stuff. So I use that. And then I use BiblioGuides more for discovering books, but I have my books on BiblioGuides uh, as well. And you ladies do a ton to help BiblioGuides because in, as you're adding your own books and you're doing research, you do a lot. I mean, I watch those chats. <laughs> you guys are constantly talking to them about, hey, we've, do you want this one added in yet? Or, hey, I found this. Do you need this for it? That's, that's kind of amazing. Are you having fun with that? 
Yes, well, that's what it takes, right? It's yes. just a group because no one person or team could do it all. There's too no, much. Way too much. And it's not fun alone, but with a team, right. it's so collaboration is awesome. Yeah. And it's been mutually helpful for me because Mary mentioned my picture book preschool book, which is available at BiblioGuides. They they offered to host it. Yes. And that's really nice. And then they also have almost all of the books that are in picture book preschool have are been in there. added to their database. So, you know, it's been a mutual thing. I've done a lot of research for them and stuff. <laughs> when I first started homeschooling, I jumped into Charlotte Mason and I had a subscription to the Simply Charlotte Mason homeschool planner tracker. I forget what it's called. But the biggest problem for me was that at that point, the database wasn't very, it was really good if you were going to emphasize online schedule. But if you're using books that weren't done that, they didn't have all those in there and you had to manually add them. And I was adding manually like 80% of my books. And so while the software was brilliant, it just wasn't a fit for me. And I love that with BiblioGuides between you guys and then all the reviews we write, we tell them in advance what's coming. And then they feed that into the system before we publish our review so that it's all pretty seamless and it makes it easy for people. Oh, I like that book. I better go add it to my bookshelf and biblio guides. <laughs> so I love the interplay between what we're all doing. The only problem with that is once a book goes up on any of these places, they get snatched. <laughs> I was just going to say. <laughs> There's a you have it told them about that I'm trying to collect myself. <laughs> don't, don't. I always right, love so it. So stop sharing. <laughs> Mary said something that made me think of a question. She said, if I had it to do over again, mm. and I would like to hear from all of you, if I had it to do over again, because I hope we're talking to people who are thinking that maybe someday they would do this. Mm -hmm. So uh, Sherry, how about you? If you had it to do over again? Actually, I can't, I can't think of anything. I thought I've, I've enjoyed uh, the mm -hmm. journey. And like I said, it didn't start out with me having everything all together. I was adding books to my database as I checked them out. No pitfalls I could avoid. <laughs> I'm empty. Well, great. <laughs> Sandy, how about you? Uh, the, the hardest thing for me has been moving it. <laughs> yes. Oh. Yeah. I've moved it too many times. Mm. <laughs> and I don't know how you could avoid but that there's by no just way going you ahead can, of time. Yeah. yeah, there's no way you can avoid that. It just is what it is. Yeah. And the books go with me wherever I go. And even At when the church needs to put new carpeting in. Yes. Oh. That hasn't happened yet. So we'll see. <laughs> no. I'm Mary thankful that they let me be there. So Sandy, right now you're housed in a church. Yes. You started off in your home though, correct? Yes. So yes. Sherry and Mary are you, Sherry. I know you are in your home, right? Yes. Mary, what about you? Where is yours? So we started in our home mm -hmm. that we have still on the South side of our town. And then in, I guess, March of 2021, or before that, a little bit, my husband said, we've got to buy a new house for Ooh. your library. We'd been looking before and it became imperative again. So we have a new house 
my library is housed in three of the rooms. Wow. Plus the boxes that are all over. <laughs> <laughs> because we also had, we also had a lot of family interruptions with, I know we were talking about how to make the balance between family and yeah. the library. And so the dream that got planted in 2012 started sprouting. And then I had several deaths in my family of mm-hmm. aunts, my parents, another one that I was building the library in between all of that. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, I kind of, it became my buying books became my grief. Catharsis. Yeah. Catharsis. Thank you for yeah. the work. Sure. Um, and so that's why I say, don't, don't despise the small things because right. now I have so many books and boxes of books <laughs> and I've like got books on the shelves, but still boxes of books I'm trying to catalog and, and, and get organized. But, but no, we have, we have our books in our home. I wanted them under my roof. Sure. So that's where they're at. Oh, marvelous. So that's kind of intrusive on your family life, right? It is. And yet when we, when we looked for a new house, we were looking for a house that could house the library. Former house, I had books in my entryway. I had (laughs) one of my children had moved out. I was moving books into that room. Oh, honey. So glad you graduated. Out you go. I need your room. So we were but we were looking for a new house. We were looking for a house where we could house the library and hopefully still have open space that could be family for when the, the kids could come in to be kind of a mobile. So it's, it's kind of our retirement home. Um, and there's a lot of things to be gotten rid of too. <laughs> so. Am I hearing that none of you really officially started while you still were homeschooling kids? I did. I was lending casually, and then when we moved to Long Island in 2006, I still had two at home ah, okay. for the next six years there, and um, lent out there too. Great, but it was it was our library for our schooling too. Right, right. You know, the, the family joke is, "Yes, Mom, we know you have a book about that." <laughs> <laughs> so it, you know, it just flowed with our days. Sandy, you said that on the landmark episode there is this prejudice out there that if you want a landmark book, it's got to look like a landmark book. It can't be a reprint. It's got to match, you know? And um, so Tanya said, why don't we get one of the library ladies on to talk about how she shelves her landmark books that we, that they're not shelved by here's the landmark set, but that they're shelved, you know, according to topic or date or, or however, whatever system you're using. And then we can try to help dispel in people's minds the sense that your landmark books all have to match. And so we had Sandy on as our library lady, which is the beginning, I think, of our Ask a Librarian series. And she said, yes, mom, we know you have a book for that. I was editing that the other day and my kids just laughed out loud. (laughs) They were like, oh, that's your kind of person, mom. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I will say I was quite thrilled to find that the Captain Kid had been republished because mm-hmm. that's one of them I don't have because the landmark books is how I actually got started in looking for old living library books because when I was looking in like Kathy Duffy's 
homeschooling book when we started homeschooling because we didn't start homeschooling our children until our oldest was a senior and our youngest was going into kindergarten of our five. And I saw landmark books were listed and I'm like, those are on the shelf in the basement of my dad, my parents' home. Oh, and then we had all about books and that's how I came across Jan Bloom's, her booth. And that's how she and I started talking and that's how the library C got birthed. And so my focus has been to collect the landmark books yeah, to add to what my dad had found. And so how did your dad have them? Did he get them one a month in the book of the month? No, they actually were on, my dad was a mathematics professor and the ones that he had were, they were on a sabbatical to Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And he had picked them up at a used book sale. Wow. He used to always write in his books where he <laughs> got them and the date. And I think a couple of them he paid like 50 cents for. Oh. <laughs> well, did you hear, you'll hear in the landmark episode, how Jill got her captain kid. No, she was at, I think it was a library sale and it was 12 books for a dollar. So she's just filling oh. bags and she sees captain kid and just grabs it. She gets it out to her car, takes a picture and says to Tanya, I think I need to print captain kid. <laughs> She said, I paid seven cents for this book. <laughs> and Sandy, aren't you the one who got Captain Kid for $20? Yes, $20 on eBay. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, in I the middle of the night. <laughs> I didn't even know. I mean, I had some landmark books in my library just that I had picked up here and there. And I didn't know Captain Kid was a unicorn. And then some people were talking about it. And I looked on my shelf and I hadn't read it at the time. And I, it was there. I was like, oh, wow. Hey, I, I own this book. Wow. I think that's the thing with we older ladies. I'll put all three of us in the same near category, I guess is we gathered these before there was the term unicorn. We gathered yes. them before they were known to be rare. Yeah. We just grabbed them because they looked good. You just go down the shelf at a any, every book sale, just looking for those older library bindings. And if it yeah. had landmark, great. But, you know, I wasn't even aware of all of the different series and everything when we first started collecting. And I do have compassion for younger moms that are trying to find great books because in a lot of parts of the country, they're gone. They Those are gone. library sales do not have the old mm -hmm. stuff anymore. And mm -hmm. it is, I think that's part of my passion about my library is it's, it's a 45 year collection, but I could never start over. And I, I have such a passion to hang on to these. I think Michelle calls her library a children's preservation library, the one oh, in beautiful. northern Michigan, children's beautiful. preservation library. And it is. That's exactly what it is. Well, Sandy, I completely agree with you. And I know we talked about this in the landmark episode that these things, they're just not gettable for young moms. Tanya and I were saying that we're kind of the end of the train 
when it comes to moms who could easily go and buy lots, like I'll pay $75 on eBay and get maybe 15 books. Um, that kind of thing doesn't exist anymore. Now your lots are, here's three of them for $50 or, and those are the ones that are super common. It, it is really difficult. So these libraries are incredibly, incredibly important. And I think, is there anybody who has collaborated to do a library? Are you aware of any homeschool moms who've gotten together and said, well, I have this and you have that. Let's put it together. No, I don't know of any. I do know that I receive donations from people mm -hmm. when they have something and they don't have room for it or don't have a way and they know I'm doing the library. So nice. Yeah. But I do think, I think it's important for people that are listening that want to know how to get a hold of somebody that has a library to realize that a lot of us have memberships. We do have fees. Mm -hmm. And yes. some of us, like I'm kind of in that in between. I started collecting more of my books when I still could go online mm -hmm. and find them mm -hmm. or cheap if I wasn't getting them locally somehow. But most of what's available now, if you can't get it, like just come across it and find it. Um, and you want to be able to finish a collection of a series, you're going to have to pay for it. And that, that means that books in my library, I spent more money for my books than maybe Sandy or Sherry did in how they acquired theirs and other people that are trying to build libraries the same for them. And so somehow we have to not necessarily offset our costs because there's no way that anybody no, can yeah. pay that for what I've put into my library. But when I have people inquire about my library mm -hmm. and I tell them there's a fee mm -hmm. and that they don't get back with me, it oh. makes me wonder if they don't understand that we're not just like the public library. And the public library isn't free either. We do pay no. for it. We just pay for it with taxes. So right. it, I think that people just have a misunderstanding of what it is, what it takes to make these things possible. One of the things we always talk about with homeschooling is that we don't receive any tax credit for homeschooling. So we pay taxes to fund the schools and we don't get anything to keep our kids home and buy all of our own curriculum. No, I'm not complaining about that. I'm just acknowledging this is the same kind of situation. Right. When, you're choosing to do something that I would say is a moral good. It's a cultural value. You are making an investment in the future, but it does come at a cost. So it's only reasonable that people would contribute to that in some way, I think. And I think that there's a big sort of education curve with that too, because when I look at my public library and think, where did all the good stuff go? They're having to keep up with the modern books and be popular to people who think that they need everything current and they're ditching the old stuff free and paid by taxes means that we have no control over what's in there. You do. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's a value in itself is that you're allowed to keep the good old stuff because yeah. you're not trying to please the public. You're trying to please your patrons, mm -hmm. patrons who want to have a library like yours available. Right. Well, and I always say I'm collecting the books that I love. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not, I'm not even promising that every book in my library will be appropriate 
and best for your family. Right. right. Um, not that I have anything inappropriate. <laughs> right. But, right. But, you know, not all the books that I love and are going to be the right ones for your family. However, mm. these are the books that I think are good and that I found to be living and nutritious. And <laughs> that's it. And there's something to be said for that. It's like Mary was saying, it, it's a sort of a hobby, but it's also a creative outlet for me. I, I feel like I'm not, I'm not an artist or a writer or any of those things, but I am a librarian and <laughs> I have put together a collection that is, that is uh, an expression of what i feel like the Lord has given me to give to the world. Right. You are, you're a curator and you curate yeah. good, true, and beautiful things for other people. That is a craftsmanship. That is an artistic pursuit. It's life-giving and life-giving for you, but it's also life-giving for the people who participate in your library and all of us who benefit from what you're doing in other places like BiblioGuides. So thank you for doing it. I find one of the most important roles maybe just because of my age, but is really educating the next generation of homeschool moms and their children of what is really, really good literature because they don't know, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they grew up perhaps in the eighties and nineties themselves and right. Mm -hmm. And what was being printed and given out then to children are not really the living books that we're talking about from back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. And so I do find it interesting. A lot of my patrons will bring their moms in (laughs) and their moms walk in the door and are like, oh my goodness, oh, I remember these books. And they do, they remember them from their school libraries and their public libraries when they were young and they feel right at home, but the next generation doesn't like, they don't know what the landmark books are. They don't know what the signature biographies are or the value of those discovery biographies for those second, third, fourth graders Mm -hmm. and the childhood of famous Americans. You know, there's just so many of those good old series, let alone the land of the free series or the, we were there series or the, Mm -hmm. he went with series that are right. not as well known. Right. Um, so part of my role truly is to educate. And I do try to share and introduce each patron to something new every time they come. Mm-hmm. And I've done workshops with here's what a living book is and or a book of good value. It doesn't have to be in that particular Charlotte Mason label. Right. But and here's how you can use these books in any curriculum that you're choosing to use as a family. Mm. So that's part of, I feel the role of a librarian in at least in our circles. You ladies are preservers of the culture. Mm -hmm. We don't have to be saying these are the only good books. They're the only ones that were ever worth anything. But if we want to preserve our culture, then we have to pass that on. And somebody's got to be saving that stuff. Right. Because the books that were popular in the 80s and 90s when Sarah was in school are going <laughs> to be in the trash in 50 years. <laughs> they because are that's in the all trash. what a lot of them are. Yeah. If they're not already, <laughs> yeah. they're going to be. Yeah. And, and so Sweet Belly Twins are just not it. <laughs> Babysitter, Babysitter Club. <laughs> I was so, so blessed that I had a grandfather who was an incredible reader. I mean, incredible reader. 
And so when I was a, a middle schooler and loving animals, he said, well, I think you would like James Harriet. Now I at the time balked at it because I had not been fed. I had my mom to her credit did give me some really good books, but I was really pretty influenced by the culture. And so I didn't understand this stupid British humor and it opens, you know, with them him helping a cow in labor. It just didn't seem like my kind of a thing. Now, later on, when I rediscovered it later, oh my goodness, was it ever magical. And now my children have been reading James Harriet. I mean, since they could talk and my daughter and I went to the birth of litter of puppies of whom we're getting a puppy a week from today. And she was in very, very excited to do that because we had read these James Harriet books. That's a living book. It's a beautiful, enchanting series. You know, thank God the TV show is out because I think that will cause a resurgence of interest in it. But most people, when we talk to young moms, my age and younger, they don't know about it at all. How do you not know about James Harriet? But they don't because they were never exposed. Well, I think the other thing that as librarians that I'm pretty sure Sandy and Mary both, um, for one thing, I've had a lot of years to read. So yes. I've, I've read a lot of books Yeah, and um, I, all through my children's education, I was reading and reading aloud and reading children's books. And I still read children's books because I enjoy them. I do a lot of hand selling as they call it in <laughs> bookstores where you just say, Oh, I think you would really like this book. And it's, it's about this. And you have to do that as a librarian because, because people don't know about right. what they don't know about. Right. <laughs> I always, every time I come across a house is a house for me, if I'm book shopping at the thrift store or something, I will always hand that to a younger mom and say, this is my favorite read aloud. No pressure. You can put it back if you want, but this book <laughs> is delightful. And I try to do that. I'm sure they're just like this lady handed me this book. <laughs> Well, if they're smart, they'll at but, least read it and see if they want to buy it or not. So. <laughs> Does it give you hope or joy that your recommendations are becoming very, very well respected and known and that it's making people ask, how do I get more copies of these kinds of books such that publishers like Living Book Press and Purple House Press are trying to reprint some of these books. Does that, I mean, you guys are instigating some of that. Does that make you excited? It does me. I think it's important to pass the legacy on mm -hmm. because I'm not going to be here forever. Mm -mm. And the next generation needs to pick up the mantle and provide what's beautiful for their family and their children. And with the degradation of the literature in our culture, generally speaking, yeah. if this is gone, if the good things are gone, what kind of education are the next generation going to have? Right. So I value it highly. I think it's very important. And whether they get printed or reprinted or not, because obviously they can't all get reprinted, right. but it's, it gives me hope that the next generation like you and like Biblio Guides ladies that are younger than I am are choosing to cultivate this culture of great books. Yeah. It gives me hope as a person. I was just thinking that 
Yeah, I don't like to live or market my library out of fear, but I read a lot of current children's literature. Mm -hmm. And it's there are some really good books that are being published and have been published in the last 10 years or whatever. Yes. However, Mm -hmm. it's becoming more and more problematic. And it's problematic in ways that are not immediately evident. And that's one of the reasons, one of the reasons that C.S. Lewis talked about reading books that were written in the past. You can see the problems very clearly mm-hmm. in, in those books when there are problems. Right. But it's harder to see the things in current literature. And I think we need to be able to compare and look back to those things that were that did stand the test of time right so that shines a light on what's being in lots of ways and just and just the language and vocabulary of the books Mm -hmm. you know you read a book that was written 50 years ago for children and the vocabulary is so much more sophisticated yes Mm -hmm. and you go oh and children read this Mm -hmm. They probably could read things that are more sophisticated now, too, (laughs) provided that. Yeah. When some of the books were first starting to be reprinted recently, a few of them that had been like unicorns and so on, at first, especially like some of the McClungs, I was like, but those are ones that I was trying to get and, you know, (laughs) glean from my library so I'd be able to loan them out, you know? (laughs) And I think it was actually Tanya that says, but Mary, isn't it wonderful that these can be in more people's hands than just in your library? Yes. So I had to sort of take a step back and realize, yes, it's not just about that my library has... (laughs) these books are these books (laughs) but but that we are trying to develop a culture of wonderful living books that can really reach the souls of our children amen and and I know one of my patrons um recently she given me her list of books that she was trying to have for her kids and some of them she was like I can't even find these in our public library in a print format mm-hmm. because so many of things are going to, to digital, digital. books mm-hmm. and a lot of my patrons they they want the print books for their children and you don't know for sure that the digital versions haven't been edited so that's I mean I think that's why many of us are clinging to the books because I've watched books be revised you know, you buy the Kindle version and then all of a sudden the book updates and it's because some PC police have decided that this can't be present in a book. Or I've had books that I've purchased on Audible that Audible has discontinued the book for whatever reason. And I've paid for it, but now it's gone. It's no longer available to me. So I don't really own it. But you know, Mary, you know what I was thinking is if you have those books on your shelves, you can help mamas with their Christmas shopping. You can say, check this out, read it, love it, and then buy it for your kids for Christmas. Right. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Tune in next time for the next part of this interview.